0: Romans chapter 8 is where we're at here today. You might think it's strange that we haven't really gone through the typical Christmas story uh, narratives that we find in the book of Matthew or the book of Luke uh, this year, because here's the thing, Jesus is so much more than what took place in Bethlehem. and What took place in Bethlehem gives us the things that you and I enjoy as children of God, and we've been taking a look at that over the last several weeks. Today we're taking a look at uh, Jesus Christ has given you for Christmas his spirit. And so we'll take a look at that uh, today. Romans chapter 8, uh, we're going to start in verse number 1. There's a couple of verses as we go through Romans 8 that I'm going to ask you to highlight, make note of, that are really super important to us. Uh, and so we'll, we'll call those out as we get through them uh, this morning. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse number 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Verse 1 is one of those verses. You should circle, star, underline. If you're using a mobile device, you should highlight this on your mobile device because it says this. If you are in Jesus Christ, you do not face condemnation, punishment for your sin that's already being cared for by Jesus Christ himself. Verse number 2. For the law of the Spirit is life of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin and the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be cardinally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 8 is important because you need to understand this. When you're walking in the flesh, when you're doing the things that your sinful heart wants to do, you cannot please God. Verse number 9 is really important. I would encourage you to circle start it the memory. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit beareth itself witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Several years ago, someone had given us a, a gift card to a restaurant that was not necessarily a family, family favorite. It was just kind of one of those plain Jane, American chain restaurants that you go to uh, to kind of appease everybody in the family. They got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, not really experts on anything. And so for that reason, our family didn't eat there very often, but we had a gift card. And so somebody had given us a gift card, I think it was 100 or $125, and so uh, we were out... As a family shopping or something like that, Angela said, hey, we should totally grab lunch. And so we decided to grab lunch at this restaurant that's not a family favorite of ours because she said the magical words, we have a gift card. So the gift card, again, probably $100, $125. And so we kind of went all out. Like, hey, we'll get an appetizer. uh, We'll order whatever we want on the menu. The kids can order. Kids were ordering like Oreo milkshakes and things like that. We had dessert because you got a gift card. We got to get rid of it because we'll never come back here ever again. And so uh, we had a a good uh, spread of food, again, incredibly average. would have never ordered this on our own, but we had a gift card, right? And so the lady comes in, drops off our bill. My wife hands me the gift card. We slide it in there and slide it back to the the waitress. And we're kind of sitting there waiting. And she comes back and she said, how would you like to handle the remaining balance on your bill? Well, how much was on the gift card? Well, there was about $1.25 on the gift card. Like 125 like one dollar and 25 cents. Yeah. Oh, okay, and so I'll pull out my debit card to now make an unplanned, unbudgeted transaction uh, at this restaurant that was incredibly average that we would have never bought this stuff had we been paying out of our own pocket. And I look at my wife who at this point is ghost white. And I said, "Do you know what happened?" And she goes, I do." And she goes, I think probably about a year or so ago I took the girls out and we just had lunch together and she goes, I totally forgot until right now. Great. Uh, And so we now have a policy that whenever you use a gift card, you carry a Sharpie with you and you write on the back the balance of the gift card that's actually left. And so never get into that mistake again. But let me just tell you this. There's certain gifts that you get that will never run dry, that you'll never come up short. And one of those gifts that you get that you will never come up short is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will provide everything that you need. He will sustain you. He will keep you. And he's going to keep you going when you can't keep yourself going. What a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to understand before we jump into today's message by way of introduction that the Holy Spirit is a gift for every New Testament believer. And again, it's important that when we talk, that we define terms. When we talk about the Old Testament and New Testament, we're not simply talking about the divisions in the Bible. You might think that the Old Testament's the first few books of the Bible, and the New Testament's the second half of the Bible, and while the Bible's divided that way, that's the case. But the word testament means more than divisions or parts. The word testament actually means the word covenant, And so the Old Testament uh, details the old covenant that God made with his people, the children of Israel. The New Testament deals with the new covenant that God has made with all mankind. And so that's kind of the way uh, that it splits up. And so under the Old Covenant, which was basically identified by what we refer to as God's covenant with Abraham or the Abrahamic Covenant. Abrahamic covenant had three parts, a land, a seed, and a blessing. God said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a, a, a nation uh, that will be come from you, and I'm going to, every man in world history will be blessed by you. Land, seed, blessing, that's the Abrahamic covenant. And from the Abrahamic covenant would then come uh, God's Levitical law that was given to uh, Moses, uh, Ten Commandments, and then on top of that, the book of Leviticus, and again, uh, Deuteronomy. That was part of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Now when you get to the book of Judges per se, uh, the, there wasn't a person to rule Israel at that time. The Bible says there were no judges in the land at that time, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so God raised up judges that would basically point people in the right direction and speak on behalf of God and would judge things right from wrong. And so those judges would receive a special gift that no one else got, and that was the gift of, ready for it, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come upon these judges so that they could judge uh, in the Spirit of God. And then when they were done with their uh, judge duties, the Holy Spirit would then be taken from them. One of the most famous judges of the book of Judges was a man by the name of Samson. And Samson had a unique gift in his supernatural strength. And when he fought 1,000 Philistines, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him and he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey and killed 1,000 Philistines with his bare hands and a donkey's jawbone because the Spirit of God was upon him. And then when uh, Samson sinned against God, the Spirit of God left Samson And then if you remember the story of Samson at the end of his life before he uh, took down the temple that he was in, the pagan temple that he was in, he prayed that God's spirit would come back and would allow him one last time to perform a feat of supernatural strength and he did so in his death. If you remember then, uh, the children of Israel wanted really badly to have a king and God says, I don't want to give you a king, I want to be your king, but they wouldn't listen to God and so God says, fine, you can have your king. And uh, God anointed Saul as the first king of Israel, and Saul had the Spirit of God upon him to perform the role of the king of Israel. Saul sinned against God and disobeyed God, and God took his Holy Spirit from Saul and sent unto Saul what kind of spirit? Does anybody remember? An evil spirit, right? And so Saul no longer had the Holy Spirit, now he has an evil spirit instead. And then when David was anointed king, the Holy Spirit came upon David. And while he was king, he had the Holy Spirit. If you remember, David sinned with Bathsheba. Then he wrote Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, he says to God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Hey, I know I've sinned against you. I know that I've messed up. Please don't remove the Spirit from me. And so we see the Spirit would come and go at times, but did not stay with God's people. We see Jesus Christ when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven like a dove as a picture of God's anointing upon his son in obedience to his baptism. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so Jesus tells his apostles, hey guys, John 14, 15, and 16, the most lengthy passage of scripture that speaks of the Holy Spirit's job he says to him, "Hey guys, I'm getting ready to leave, but it's actually a really a good thing that I'm getting ready to leave because when I leave, the Comforter or the Holy Spirit will come, and He's going to do some really great things for you that I cannot do in my limited bodily form." Now, again, it might sound a little bit weird to say that there were certain things that Jesus could not do, but if Jesus Christ were with us, I, I think to, 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 to sometimes I think to myself, how cool would it be to just grab lunch with Jesus? Like the apostles sit and had lunch with Jesus all the time and they didn't think twice about it. How cool would that be for you and I to just sit and grab breakfast with with Jesus? I'm sure Jesus drinks coffee. I'm sure he doesn't drink it black because people who drink black coffee are psychopaths. Uh, But (laughs) can you imagine just like sitting down with the word of God and just talking about life? And so sometimes I look and, and see, wow, they had such a gift that they didn't even realize at the time, no doubt. But here's the thing, if Jesus came and I said to you like, hey guys, Jesus is gonna come and, and preach this morning at Huikala, and afterwards you can hang out and ask any question that you want. Man, what? how awesome would that be, man? Sit and ask Jesus any question that you want. But if you're like me, after Jesus left, you'd be thinking to yourself like, oh, I totally should ask him this the other day. I, I totally forgot that. Or you would ask something dumb like, did Adam have a belly button or something like that. Uh, and so you wouldn't ask the real important stuff. And so that that face-to-face interaction would be so limited. But what if Jesus' spirit lived inside of us and never left? What if we could lean on God's spirit at any time that we needed in any situation necessary? What if we had a gift inside of us that was greater than the physical presence of Christ? That's what Jesus is saying to us. And he said, I'm going to give that gift to every single New Covenant, New Testament believer. So if you have been saved or born again, you've been adopted into the family of God, and inside of you today, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Every child of God has the Spirit of Christ. That's important to understand that you are not born with the Holy Spirit You are not born a Christian. You are not born into a Christian family. The Bible says that we're all born into the family of the devil, uh, that the devil's our father. We're born the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. We're all born sinners. We're born, Romans chapter 5 says, the enemies of God, that none of us are born Christians. You might have been born into a family that attended church or a family of parents who were Christians, but that does not make you a Christian by nature. You're born a sinner by nature. And the Spirit of God is not in you. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned against God. And our sin has a price tag associated with it. Because I've sinned against God, because you've sinned against God, we deserve God's punishment. And God's punishment for our sin is a little bit more than sitting in time out or a little bit of a spanking. The Bible says the wages of sin, the, the consequences of your sin is death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death as well. There's coming a day one time when you and I, the Bible says, we'll all stand before God in judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. And you'll stand before God one day, not based on how good of a person you are or how bad of a person you are. You'll stand in judgment before God, and the question will be, who is paying for your sins? And if the answer is you, There's one way that you can pay for your sins, and that is hell for all of eternity. But here's the thing. God loves you too much to send you to hell. God loves you too much to allow you to be unloved or not have another opportunity. And so God, in his love for you and I, sent his son Jesus to die for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. I was supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished in my place. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, And consequences, Jesus took those wrath and consequences upon himself and Jesus paid my debt that he did not owe. But here's the important part and everything hangs on this last final part. You have to make a decision for yourself whether or not you will trust Jesus. Friend, if you say, that's fine, I'll work out my sin when I get to to heaven, I'll talk to God about it man to man. I can tell you how the conversation ends and you'll be cast into hell for all of eternity. But if you're willing today or any other day to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I believe that He is the only way to heaven, I believe that He has died and paid for my sins, and I'm asking Him to save me and forgive me of my sin, friend, your sin will be wiped away in the moment's notice. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. And now you're no longer an enemy of God, now you are a child of God. And so for you, for me, there must be a time, a date, a place where we put our faith and trust in Christ as Savior. The Bible calls it being born again or saved. Those are two Bible words that mean the same thing. It means your sins are forgiven and you're adopted into the family of God. But it requires faith and repentance on your part. There's never been a time like that for you. You need to make today that opportunity because God sent Jesus to save you from your sins. And faith and repentance is the only way that you get there. But here's the awesome part. For me, I accepted Jesus when I was nine years old. I prayed and I confessed my sin before God and asked him to save me and forgive me, and he did in a split second. Then I was adopted into the family of God. All this happened in a moment. I was adopted into the family of God. All my sin was washed away as if it had never happened. And now, inside of me, I have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God came, again, the moment that I was saved and took up residence in me. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And it's really important, that 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19 says it this way, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? If you remember last week, we talked about how the temple was where God's Spirit would come down and dwell with His people in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the God's Spirit would come down and dwell... God's Spirit doesn't come down and dwell any longer in the temple, but He dwells inside of you and I. His Spirit now is no longer confined to a building. It's confined to every single Christian. Inside of you, you have the Spirit of God and you are the temple of God. And So you take a look at verse number 9 here, really important. Again, I would circle this and underline it because this is a very important doctrinal verse. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What that means is that if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. No two ways about that. The only way to get the Holy Spirit is to be saved. And by the same token, the opposite is true. If you are not saved, you do not have the Holy Spirit. So again, verse number nine is really clear. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. So there is a a portion, a a sector of Christianity, I'll be very careful and say that it's more than likely not, first of all, it's not biblical Christianity. It's more than likely not Christianity that has a skewed view of what the Holy Spirit is, what he does, how he performs, how he functions. And a false teaching of the Holy Spirit would say this, you get saved here, and then maybe later you'll get the Holy Spirit. And for you to get the Holy Spirit, we've got to surround you with people, and we've got to put our hands on you, and we've got to pray over you, and maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. And it'll be evidenced by the ability for you to speak in a language that's unknown to you, or uh, to begin to say things that nobody really understands. That will be evidence of the Holy Spirit, but we don't find that in Scripture anywhere. And that doesn't line up with the Bible. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not saved. So, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, not saved. Pretty clear, right? It's black and white. It's binary. You don't kind of have the Holy Spirit. You don't have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You either have it or you don't. Nobody's ever been kind of pregnant, right? Well, she's kind of pregnant. We're not really sure. Kind of halfway. We'll wait and see. no. Pregnant? Not. It's a one or a zero. It's binary. the 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 Holy Spirit is binary. You have it or you don't, and you don't have it based on how good you are. Or your religious experiences. You have the Holy Spirit based on whether or not you're saved. And again, we cannot get past that clear Bible teaching. But here's the great part about the Holy Spirit. And this is why the Holy Spirit is such a gift to you and I. He does a dozen different things. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life and mine is a constant reminder that sin and death have been defeated once and for all. Let's take a look at verse number 2 in our passage here this morning, Romans chapter 8, verse number 2. For the law is the spirit of life, and Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's take a look at verse number 3 again. You talk about the incarnation or the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Verse 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. What God's rules and regulations couldn't accomplish, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what that means for us as Christians today. The Holy Spirit inside of you is a constant reminder that you are dead to sin. Sin doesn't have any power over you any longer. Sin doesn't have the ability to call the shots for you anymore. Sin is dead to you because you have the Spirit of Christ in you. Now, you might be scratching your head for a second and you say, well, then why do I still struggle against sin? We'll get to that in just a moment. But again, another errant teaching of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will cause you to stop sinning completely. And again, if you want to go down a rabbit hole of studying false theology, there's something called the second blessing, which is not biblical. Basically, the idea is that the more you become like Christ, you'll eventually hit a point where you no longer sin, where the Holy Spirit has given you a blessing, and now you no longer sin at all. Man, if that was the case, how do I get that for my kids, like yesterday, right? How nice would that be? How can I get that for every single marriage in America? Like, do we get to the point where we just don't sin anymore? And again, even that simple concept that we get to the point where we no longer sin flies in the face of the Bible. John tells us in 1 John, if any man say that he hath not sinned, he is a what? Does anybody know what he says? He's a liar. And the Spirit of God is not in him. So again, that just goes completely in the, in the face of the Bible. And So let me help you with this this morning. Every single solitary thing that you and I think believe and trust in must be rooted in the word of God, period. We don't do anything here because that's the way we've always done it. We don't do anything here because that's just tradition. We do everything that we do and we believe everything we say based on the word of God. We can show you a Bible verse or a Bible principle for why we do the things that we do. And so we can't say things like, well, my old church used to believe that. Well, your old church might have been wrong if it wasn't following scripture. So we have to come to the Bible completely and totally with a humble heart. And this goes for every single one of us. We come to the Bible with a humble heart saying, God, if I'm not right, would you please change me? God, if there's something here in my life that's not right, would you fix it? We say that as a church. God, if there's something that we have that is doctrinally incorrect, would you please correct us because we want to be right? I had a man several years ago who read through our doctrinal statement. He goes, well, what do we do about the parts of the doctrinal statement that aren't correct? (laughs) Well, we would correct them if there was something not correct. He says, do you believe that our church is 100% right on all the doctrine of the Bible? Yes. Well, that's a pretty arrogant statement. No, it's not. If there's something wrong, we need to fix it ASAP. Because if there's something we see in Scripture that's not right, we need to repent of it and make it right. Because the Bible is our final authority for everything that we say and do. The problem comes when some people view the Holy Spirit through the lens of experience as opposed to the lens of the Bible. Oh, the Holy Spirit gives me this this ooey feeling inside. The Holy Spirit makes me want to say things that I don't understand. The Holy Spirit gives me dreams at night. The Holy Spirit gives me visions as I'm as I'm driving. I was driving the other day and the Holy Spirit overcame me and I saw a unicorn jumping over a rainbow and I knew that, that was God's promise to me that everything was going to be okay. Yeah. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. I remember as a kid, I didn't have a really good understanding of the Holy Spirit and I would hear a lot of people say things like, oh, don't you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in here today? And I'd be like... It feels a little bit colder than it did last Sunday. Is that the Holy Spirit, you know? I I would hear people say things like, oh, we're just praying that the the Spirit would fall in here, that the Spirit would fall. Spirit, come. Spirit, fall. Fall fresh. Give us fresh oil. And I was like, fresh oil? What does that mean? What what does it look like when the Spirit falls? Does something come out of the ceiling? I'm not sure. I mean, every single little floaty piece of dust, I thought, was that the Spirit? It might have been the Spirit. As a kid, I remember uh, when people would say things like, well, the the Holy Spirit's really strong with him. I was thinking to myself as a kid, it's like the force in Star Wars. Like the, the Holy Spirit's very strong with this person. It's not very strong with that person. Do we have a midichlorian test that we can give for the Holy Spirit? I don't know, you know? I'm not sure. Look, the Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit is not mystical. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Just like God is not some weird feeling force out there, He's a person. Just like Christ, the incarnation of God, was a person, so the Holy Spirit is also a person. Not a feeling, not a force, not a it or a they. It's a He, the person of God, the Spirit of Christ. And so again, it's important that we go back to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit tells us that we no longer are subject to our sin and death no longer has power over us. I I am constantly amazed by Christians who tune in to the news or scroll their social media feed to find out what they're going to be afraid of this week. Friend, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not trying to be unwise. I'm not trying to hurry up and die. But at the same time, I I could get killed walking across the crosswalk. I could get killed, you know, flying in an airplane. I could get killed by a snake. I I could be killed by 10,000 things. I'm not going to live in fear of death because death is part of the human condition. It is. You're going to die. And so we don't have to live in fear of death because the moment that I take my last breath here on planet Earth, the Bible says that my spirit is with the Lord. That's a promotion where I come from. So I'm not gonna live in fear of sin. I'm not gonna live in fear of death because the Holy Spirit with me says that Christ has already conquered those on my behalf. Now, again, please understand, I'm not saying that you should drive 90 miles an hour without a seatbelt. I'm not saying that you should walk on the red hand in the crosswalk. I'm telling you to be wise, but don't fear death. Because Jesus has already defeated death on our behalf. Our spirit is constantly at war, though, against our old carnal flesh. Again, I wish it were so nice that when we got saved, we no longer sin. But the Bible says your spirit will fight against your flesh every single day until the day you die. And when we talk about your carnal flesh, this is the part of you that is completely depraved. This is the sinful part of you. This is the part of you that's proud, puffed up, thinks that there's somebody, gets bent out of shape when things don't go your way, gets constantly angry at the drop of a hat, thinks negative things towards other people. Just want what you want. Greedy, ugly, nasty, fleshly, carnal. That's who we are at the core of our being You see, we're a three-part being. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but by way of review, it's really important to, to review. First of all, there's our physical being. That's what you see on the outside. This is our physical manifestation, our body. Inside every person is a soul. This is their emotion. This is their personality. This is what makes you, you. And your soul will spend eternity somewhere, someday, whether it be heaven or whether it be hell. And that part of your being is just part of you. The third part of you is the really important part. That's your spirit. And your spirit is born dead. And so when you're born into this world, you have a physical body that's alive. You have a soul that is alive and wants to be expressed and it wants to feel. But then you have a part of you that's born dead. The Bible says we were born dead in our trespasses and sin. And so when you were born, you were born as basically two-thirds of a real person. And you, throughout your life, depending on when you find Jesus, will constantly look for the part of you that's missing. And the world tries to shove everything in the part of them that's missing. There's 10,000 things that you could chase to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction, but the problem is you can't find it because part of you is dead. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we put our faith in, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we were made alive together with Him. That our spirit was quickened or made alive and now a part of us is alive that was previously dead. And so when we talk about our flesh, our flesh is the worthless, sinful, destructive part of us that has to die. The Apostle Paul says here in Romans, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul goes on to say this, I know what I shouldn't be doing, and those are the things that I do. I know the things that I should be doing, and those are the things that I don't do. Because my flesh wars against my spirit. And so the Bible tells us, that our flesh must be put to death. Take a look at verse number 13 in our passage here this morning. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. That word mortify means to kill or to put to death. That carnal fleshly man that lives inside of every single one of us, you need to hunt him down and kill him. He needs to be put to death. He needs to be assassinated. And here's the thing that you're going to find. The second you put that guy to death, he's going to raise right back up, get breath in his lungs, and take off running again. And this idea of killing the deeds of the flesh is a daily ritual that you and I must do. Because our spirit and our flesh cannot coexist one has to give way, one has to yield, one has to die. And so we talk about our flesh. Our flesh is, is no good. Jesus is in John chapter 6, verse number 63. It's the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are the spirit and they are life. But you see, our spirit is empowered and made alive by the Holy Spirit. And this is the part of our being that has communion with God. Your spirit once made alive, again, by being saved or born again, your spirit now is alive and you now have a connection with God because his spirit is in you. Not only has a part of you awakened that was previously dead, now God lives in you by his spirit. And now we have a connection to God that we never had before. There's a man several years ago in a church. he got gotten saved on a, a Sunday morning at the time, he was living with his girlfriend. They were living in a, a adulterous sexual relationship, and he called me on a Thursday, four days after he got saved. He says, "Pastor, I got to meet with you today." And I said, "Okay." And so he came by the the church here, and we sat down and talked for a bit. "Say, hey, man, tell me what's going on." He was like, "I don't know. I, I do not know what's going on." He goes, "I'm telling you this, like, every time I sin now, I get sick to my stomach and I feel like I want to throw up." And he's like, I don't know what's going on. He goes, I realize that me and my girlfriend, we're living in sin and we can't continue to do this any longer. And he goes, I just, I can't sleep at night. I can't breathe. I'm just overwhelmed with how awful my life is. I said, Good for you, man. He's like, What are you talking about, good for you? I said, That is, help me with it, the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, you can't live like this any longer. Something needs to change. And you say, well, that's not a gift. Yes, it is. When you live a destructive life and the Spirit of God says, hey, stop this, you're going to wreck your life, that's a gift. It's a gift for God to be able to grab you by the collar and pull you back when necessary. And that's the gift that you and I have of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse number 1 says, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin." Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation or the way that we lived in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You talk about a bleak picture of who we were before Jesus. We were dead We were walking according to the course of the world. We were walking according to Satan's plans. We were the children of disobedience. We lived a life of lust, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. We were the children of wrath. Here's why I love the Bible. You did all that, but God, who is rich in mercy, you get that? Who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, Even when we were dead in sins, what did he do? He hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ, and by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Oh, my soul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You need to like meditate on that because that's good. You and I were a depraved, wretched, wicked, sinful, pathetic, gutter rat worm before we met jesus but god who is rich in mercy wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin hath made us alive together with jesus christ what a gift part of me was dead and now it's made alive Part of me had no usefulness to God whatsoever, but He's given me His Spirit and made me alive. What a gift. But you see, living in the Spirit, that's a daily decision to yield to the Spirit of God. Again, inside of you fights your flesh against your spirit. They're going to fight against each other until the day that you die. And the idea is that you and I want to be led by or controlled by the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. That word filled means to be controlled by. Just like a a drunken man is controlled by alcohol, you and I should be controlled by the Spirit of God. That the things that I say, the things that I think, the things that I'm involved with should be controlled by the Spirit. And so God's Spirit's going to be alive in me. God's Spirit's going to be at work in me. And now that flesh gets pushed to the side because God's Spirit is working and living in me and through me. What a gift. And so, but the problem is, is that word yield. I've got to choose to put my sin to death. You have to choose to put your sin to death. You see, again, this is not automatic. I wish it were. I come to faith in Christ. And man, life just is, is easy. I'm just coasting now. I don't have the same cravings and desires that I used to. I don't want to fulfill my own self-filled sinful lust any longer. I get to just now live for Jesus if it were that simple. But now I have to choose on a daily basis, multiple times a day, to put my flesh to death. If you got your Bibles open, turn back to Romans chapter 6. It's so good what Romans 6 tells us. If you struggle with your flesh versus your spirit, Romans chapter 6 was written specifically for you. Here's a beautiful thing that God promises in Romans chapter 5. If you're going to back up one chapter there, verse number 20. Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound you know what that means? That means you cannot out the grace of God. That means when your sin was a little bit, God's grace was a little bit more. And then when your sin was great, God's grace was still greater than your sin. And that regardless of how much you and I sin, we can never out the grace of God. And so some people say, well, if you sin too much, you'll lose your salvation. Friend, if you and I could lose our salvation, we would. But please understand, you did nothing to gain your salvation, therefore you can do nothing to lose your salvation. And the Bible says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And if you could sin so much that you would lose your salvation, the question is, when is too much too much? If there were a line, the Bible would be pretty clear as to where that line was. But you cannot out the grace of God. That's what uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 20 tells us. So when talking with people that, that believe that you could lose your salvation, they said, well, then I guess you can just sin as much as you want and still go to heaven, right? And I imagine Paul anticipated the church at Rome thinking that. I know the Holy Spirit thinking ahead, that there would be people who would be carnal that think, I can just keep sinning and God just keeps forgiving. So Romans chapter 6, verse number 1 says, So what shall we say then? Shall we just continue in sin that God's grace will continue to abound? And the answer is what? God forbid. Why? How shall we, the children of God, that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? That's what verse number two says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Wait a minute. Jesus died to set you free from sin. Why would you go back? It's like the guy who gets out of prison and gets to stand in freedom for the first time in civilian clothes. He says, hey, when do I get to go back to jail? What? No, you've been set free from that. Why would you want to go back? And so Romans 6 makes it really clear for you and I that we don't have to go back to our sin, that we've been set free from our sin. And verse number 10 in Romans chapter 6 says it this way, for in that he died, speaking of Christ, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye. The word reckon means accounting, which basically means to put it in a column. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey the lust of the flesh thereof. You need to make a decision that you're dead to sin oh, pastor, I'm just continuing to struggle with sin. It's just got a hold on me. Then you need to determine that you are dead to sin. Well, I just, I, I can't stop sinning. That's not true. Verse number 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should be in lust thereof. And You say, well, I just can't stop. Verse number 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments unto unrighteousness and to sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So you have to choose to live in the Spirit. I've got to choose to kill my flesh and be alive in the Spirit. So you have to choose to live in the Spirit. Totally up to you. But verse number 14 has a really important, I'm sorry, verse number 13 has a really important word in it. That word is yield. That means the choice is yours. Will you choose... To live in sin, or will you choose to live in the spirit? Totally up to you. But you got a choice to make. And friend, if you are a child of God, you've been saved, born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and you continue to live a lifestyle of sin, that's a hundred percent on you. Your choice that you've made. Because this promise in Romans chapter 6, verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You continue to sin, 100% your choice. You don't have to sin. Sin no longer has power over you unless you give it power. And the only reason you continue to go back to your sin again and again and again is because you choose to. 100% on you. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, And it's, again, a continual reminder that sin and death have been defeated. You have a choice, according to verse number 13, to yield to the Spirit instead of yielding to your sinful flesh. choice is totally up to you. And so, it's been said before, if you have two dogs in a fight, and you starve one of them for two weeks, and you feed the other one really well for two weeks, which dog is going to win? And the answer is the one that you feed the most. Show the same as your spirit and your flesh. If you feed your flesh six days a week, I'm constantly uh, indulging in sinful lifestyle. I'm constantly listening to music that draws my heart towards this world and away from God. I'm engaging in entertainment, whether it be movies or music or television shows that pull my heart away from the heart of God. I'm continually surrounding myself with people who don't share the same values that I do. that continue to talk about their lifestyle of sin and live a lifestyle of sin. And then I'm going to show up on church for a couple of hours on Sunday. And hopefully my spirit will be strong. I'm just telling you, it won't. You'll lose every single time. And you'll be steamrolled by the world. And then people cry, like, oh, I just can't do the Christian life. It's so hard. No, it's not hard. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, and my burden's light. You've just chosen to feed your flesh. So, what do I do, Pastor? You starve your flesh and you feed your spirit. Cut out all that negative influence in your life because it's not helping you any. Feed, feast on the Word of God. I'm not talking about reading a verse before you walk out the front door. Look, if all you get is a verse out of the Bible a day, it's better than nothing. It's like, should I skip breakfast or eat an apple? You should probably eat an apple, but it's not going to last you the rest of the day. You need to feast on the Word of God. You need to dig deep into it. You need to surround yourself with other Christians that are going the same direction that you are. You need to find some people in your life that would will be willing to pour into you and invest in you and mentor you and help you to be a man or woman of God. You need to find those areas that are pulling your heart away from God and cut it off. For me, I made a decision probably three years ago. I'm done with social media. It's just not my thing. Because I found that social media, for me, and again, maybe you're, you're, you're spiritual enough that you can handle this. I can't. I'm just confessing my sin before you. I can't. I compare my life to every single person that I see on social media, everybody. Oh, look at them, they got to take a vacation there. I've never taken a vacation there before. Oh, they got to go to Disney. I haven't gotten to go to Disney in a long time. Oh, look at them, they're in Southern California eating tacos, there's no good tacos in Hawaii, you know? Everything, comparison. Oh, look at their kids, their kids are playing in the forest and are throwing, throwing fall leaves in the air. My kids haven't even seen fall leaves before, right? And how the kids laughing and smiling and having fun my kids fighting, bicker all the time you know constant comparison oh uh, and i look again, i look at other guys that, that are pastors oh, why is their church bigger than our church you know why do they have you know this and, and we don't why is that guy a better preacher than i am you know why is that guy you know i know that guy he's a fake and a phony and a hypocrite here he's acting on the and just like it consumed me to the point that it was drawing my heart away from god and to the things of this world you know what i had to say I'm done with it. I can't afford it. It's not good for me. And you know what? That allowed me the the space and the bandwidth to be able to feed my spirit again. It freed up in me some capital, some real estate in my heart that allowed me to now feast on things that are spiritually nourishing. I would encourage, if you want to change your life, listen to only Christian worship music for three weeks, 21 days. Take it as a challenge. If anything is going into my ears, it's going to be Christian worship music. You notice I didn't just say Christian music because a lot of this stuff that passes for Christian music today is just warmed over pop music that throws Jesus in the chorus once in a while. Or it's, it's vague and it says him and it could be about our boyfriend or it could be about Jesus. You're not really sure. I'm talking about music that draws my heart closer to the heart of God. That's what I'm talking about. Feast on that. I'm telling you, your spirit will grow inside of you. Man, when you feel like you just want to check out for a while and you want to grab your phone and just scroll endlessly, whether it be news or social media, just stop and grab your Bible instead. I'm telling you, feed your spirit, starve your flesh, and you will be fascinated at the change that takes place in your life. And your spirit will connect with the Spirit of God and will grow and blossom in you like never before And the Holy Spirit will produce good, visible, tangible fruit in your life. Man, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, and you live in the Spirit, things come out like you've never seen before. Now again, false teaching on the Holy Spirit says this. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, out of you will come ecstatic utterances, You'll be able to speak in angelic tongues, in a a language that no one knows. And you'll have a secret prayer language that just you and God connect with. And you'll be able to to babble uncontrollably when the Spirit gets a hold of you. And if you've never done that, you probably don't have the Holy Spirit. And again, we know how faulty that, that idea is. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Or if you have the Holy Spirit at work in you, then you'll be able to prophesy and speak the future and be able to tell people's future and what's going on and things like that. Hey, look, that's not of God. We don't need words of prophecy. Beware of any church that says we need a fresh revelation from God. Hey, look, God's already given his revelation in 66 books. It's done and settled forever in heaven. We don't need a fresh revelation. We might need a a fresh look at God's old revelation, but we don't need a fresh revelation from God. Beware of phrases like that. I <laughs> had a guy one time who says, oh, pastor, God gave me a word of prophecy for you. And, hmm, red flags, red flags. Notice that was a little red flag, right? If it was a big red flag, I'd wave it like that. So little red flag waving he says, uh, "God give me a word of prophecy. And hey, look, here, here's the thing. God has given me words to speak over people before. <laughs> Hold, stay, stay with me for just a second. Hear me out, all right? but it's always the word of God. Men that are married today, I would encourage you, a word of prophecy for you today. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Married couples, I have a word of prophecy for you today. Submit yourselves one to another in the spirit of God. Children, I've got a prophecy for you today. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You say, well, that just sounds like the Bible. Yeah, it is. God always speaks through his word, always. I got one time, a oh, pastor, can I speak a word of prophecy over you? I said, I'm not really into stuff like that, but I'm willing to hear you out. And he says, okay, does the number 23 mean anything to you? No. Well, I'll think really hard. No. I'm seeing the number 23. It was Michael Jordan's number. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I saw it with the, the color red together. God gave me a vision. I saw 23 and I saw, re- I saw red. Hey, maybe you got a word of prophecy for Michael Jordan, but man, it ain't for me, you know? Well, What, what about the number nine? Do you have a childhood phone number with the number nine in it? No. Like, stop. Those things are not the Holy Spirit at work. That might be new age mysticism. That might be that, that weirdo guy on TV that has the group of people. I was like, does anybody's grandmother's name start with an R in this section over here? Anybody's grandmother with an R, she's talking to me. Oh, yeah, my grandma. Oh, yeah, that's true. I got your grandma on the line right now, and she says that she loves you. Oh, my goodness. New age mysticism. I'll even go so far as to call that witchcraft that Christians don't get involved in. Okay? That's not the Holy Spirit at work at all. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling. It's not mystical. It's not weird. It's not out there. Here's what the Holy Spirit produces in your life. Not signs, miracles, gifts, wonders, ecstatic babblings, prophecies, fortune-telling, future-telling. Here's what the Holy Spirit produces in your life when it's really at work. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness, temperance. That's the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great list. Where'd you get that? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Write it down. Commit it to memory. And let me just tell you this. Do you know what the depths of every single human heart truly craves? You know what they crave? Love, joy, Peace, long suffering. Crave. You know what you want in your marriage. You really don't want two and a half kids with a, a sink, kitchen sink, while you're washing dishes. with your kids play in the back in the in the backyard. That's not really what you want. You might think that's what you want. That's not what you want. You might want a couple of acres in Texas where you can ride four wheelers and go deer hunting. And that's not what you want. You're, no, no, Pastor. Not really, no. What you really want? You want love joy, peace. Let me ask you this. Married couples, would you take a house in Texas on 10 acres of land where you could watch your kids play in the backyard, but it was a house that was absent of love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance? Would you give it all up to have that? Of course you wouldn't. But would you cram five kids in a studio apartment where everybody's sleeping on the floor in sleeping bags, and you still had love, joy, peace, long-suffering, absolutely 10 times out of 10, you would. You know why? Because the human heart craves that. Parents, you know what your kids want from you? They don't want the latest iPhone or a new iPad. They don't want none of that stuff. They want love. They want joy. They want peace. They want long-suffering. Husbands, you know what your wives want? They want gentleness and goodness. Husbands, you know what you really want from your wives? Meekness, faith faithfulness, temperance. It's funny, sometimes we put a lot of focus on the, the, the front half of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. We forget about that last one, temperance. You know what temperance is? Self-control. It's putting my flesh to death and allowing the Spirit to live in me. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know the Spirit's alive. It's interesting when, when people want to talk about the Holy Spirit like, oh, Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, come. Give us fresh oil, fresh anointing. Let the Holy Spirit fill this place. Are you really talking about self-denial and self-control? Probably not. Are you talking about being long-suffering? Pet peeve of mine. Some English translations use the word patience in place of long-suffering. Long-suffering and patience are two different things. The Greek word for long-suffering is makrothumia. It means Long-burning. It's like a a fuse when you light it, it takes about two decades to burn out. That's the idea of macrothumia or long suffering. It's different than patience. Patience is like my Domino's driver is supposed to be here five minutes ago and he's not. That's not a fruit of the spirit, right? Long suffering is the ability to suffer long, it's a big deal. But it's funny when people talk about, oh, the Holy Spirit's really at work, in our church, man, our worship was so Spirit-filled today. Are you really talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I have a weird sense of humor, and somebody sent me this a few weeks ago. I thought it was funny. You might not. It was Bart Simpson doing write-offs on a chalkboard It says, we do not activate the Holy Spirit. I thought it was funny. Okay, two people found it funny. Anyways, moving right along. Um, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit for us then? The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us forever. That's a gift. And again, if you downloaded the notes on the Hui Call app, and if you didn't, you can go down and download them this afternoon. You'll see Bible passages for every single one of these because we don't make up stuff we think the Holy Spirit would do. We go to the Bible and say, what does the Holy Spirit really do? And again, anybody who wants to claim that the Holy Spirit's given them the gift of healing, hey, man, go down to Kapi'olani Hospital and just clear everybody out over there, Right? It's interesting to me that, that churches that claim to have, quote, healing rooms where the sick can come, have hands laid upon them, and they heal them 100% of the time of their infirmities. It's interesting to me that those have all been closed due to COVID. <laughs> Wait, I thought the whole point was to heal people of their sickness. Wait, you're actually admitting that you can't heal people is what you're doing. So, again, all that stuff is rubbish. And, again, we have to be very discerning when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. One time we were in uh, California and I was on outreach. And I was going door to door talking to people about Jesus and inviting them to our church. And I came across this guy who was cutting the grass in his front yard, and um, <laughs> he uh, he was talking. And so we got talking for a bit, and everything. He said, "You're a Christian?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Man, me too. Me too, brother. Great to great to see another Christian out getting the work done today. I said, Good." And he he had this necklace on. had like a like a little glass thing. He says, "Hey, man, um, this I just got this." He said, "This is." olive oil from jerusalem okay he said could i anoint you with oil and pray over you nope what do you mean no no not gonna happen why why would you want to do that because i want god's spirit to be upon you god's spirit's already upon me i have the holy spirit i got saved i got more of god's spirit. i got a hundred percent of the holy spirit when i got saved i don't need more of the spirit well, oh, brother, I just feel like like anointing the oil is something that Christians should do. Okay, the Bible talks about that. God anointed kings in the Old Testament. You and I are not kings, and we, therefore we're not anointed as kings. Secondly, the Bible talks about anointing with oil. Where? The book of James for people that are sick. And bro, uh, my health is a 100%, A, okay. So you're not gonna anoint with oil. You wanna pray together? I'd be happy to, to pray with another brother in Christ, but I'm not gonna get anointed with oil. You know why? Because it's not biblical, But brother, this is from Jerusalem. It could be from from South Central L.A. I don't care. I'm not getting anointed with your oil today. Why? Because it's not biblical. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. That's not how the Holy Spirit functions. So again, we got to go back to the Bible. The Bible says that God's spirit is his presence with us forever. It's God's comfort for us. He's called the comforter. The job of the Holy Spirit is to teach us what Jesus says and to remind us what Jesus has said and point to and speak of Jesus. Again, Bible verses for all these, John 14, 15, and 16 is where the bulk of this is found. But please understand this. If if this hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. Talk to me afterwards and we can sort it out. If you have a religion that calls itself Christianity, that takes the focus off of Jesus Christ and places it upon the Holy Spirit. That is not a biblical Christian religion. He said, so, "Well, how can you say that? Because Jesus Himself said this: the Holy Spirit will not speak of Himself; He'll only speak of Me. And the job of the Holy Spirit is not to glory Himself, but to glorify Me." The Holy Spirit's not to speak of himself, but to remind you of all the things that I have said and all that I have taught you. So Jesus himself says the Holy Spirit does not want center stage, does not want the spotlight, simply wants to reflect it back to Christ. So you go to a church that, is, that speaks all about the Holy Spirit, but nothing of Jesus, that is not biblical Christianity. You have churches that focus on signs, miracles, and wonders and supernatural sign gifts to the neglect of the gospel that saves sinners. That is not a biblical Christian religion. Harsh, but true. I'll say amen to that. Amen. Next, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to point out and to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make us holy, It's the Holy Spirit's job to guide us into all truth and away from error. It's the Holy Spirit's job to redirect our focus back to Jesus. The the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Have you ever came across something that called itself Christian and you were like, "Ah, I don't know about that. That seems kind of fishy to me. That's the Holy Spirit at work. You're flipping through channels trying to find something to, to watch on TV and you see some preacher that says, put your hand on the screen and feel the Spirit of God come through the screen and you go, that's a bunch of garbage, and you flip the channel. But meanwhile, thousands of people nationwide are putting their hands on the television screen. What's the difference? You have the Spirit of God, they don't. They don't know any better. And it's not that these people are stupid. It's that spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and they don't have the Spirit of God. So again, we don't look at people like that and go, well, what a bunch of idiots. They're probably not saved, and if they are saved, they don't know the Spirit of God because he hasn't led them to truth and away from error. If you've ever heard a, a preacher say something, you're like, ooh, that didn't sit right with me. I should go investigate that in the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit challenging you. And I might have said something today, that you're like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit showing you that something isn't right, or maybe it's showing you that something is right and you need to investigate further. But the Holy Spirit's job is to guide you to truth and away from error. Next, it's the job of the Holy Spirit To glorify Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give us power to share our faith. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses of me. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give believers, uh, to help believers to pray when they cannot. What a gift of the Holy Spirit that when I sit down and I'm so overwhelmed that I can't even pray, that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 26 that the Spirit makes intercession for us when we don't even have the words to say. And it's really important to notice that if you have some of your Bible open to Romans, turn over Romans chapter 8, verse number 26. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 8, verse number 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know what, not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What that means is that when you and I sit down to pray and we don't even know what to say, the Spirit has got it for us. Hey, I'll take it from here. I'll pray on your behalf. What this does not mean is it does not mean that you and I speak in a language that we don't know And we just begin babbling nonsense to God. And that's the Spirit praying for us. Hey, look, the Spirit doesn't need to even speak to talk to God. Because the Spirit is God. That Make sense? The Spirit doesn't speak in some weird, strange, heavenly language. Again, some people believe that, oh, the Holy Spirit causes me to speak in the tongues of angels like Paul talks about. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at the very beginning in metaphors. Though I give my body to be burned, yet have not charity, I am nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of angels, yet have not charity, I am nothing. There is no angelic language that Paul spoke in. And in, in the Bible, anytime anyone spoke in tongues, there was always a known language that could be interpreted by an interpreter. And so again, we don't want to attribute things to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit does not do. Next, the Holy Spirit Gives us joy, peace, hope, and power as we serve Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual strength. The Holy Spirit produces the character of Jesus Christ in us. And that's like 15 things that the Holy Spirit does. And notice none of those are supernatural signs that, that God does. Just the Holy Spirit doing the work that the Holy Spirit does. And when the Holy Spirit's at work in my life, I'll love Jesus more, I'll love my wife more, I'll love my kids more, I'll love my fellow man more. When my flesh is running the show, please know that everything is an absolute nightmare. It's a train wreck. And you know what your workplace could use this week? A little bit of love, a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace, a little bit of long suffering would go a long way, a little bit of gentleness, a little bit of goodness. You know what your home could use this week? A little bit of love, a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace. Oh, well, Pastor, you don't know what goes on in my house. You don't know my workplace. Actually, I probably do if it's anything like anywhere else. It's full of sinners. They could just use a spirit-filled Christian to make a difference. would be to God that my kids would grow up one day and they said, my dad wasn't perfect, but I could tell that he walked in the spirit biggest compliment ever. I'd rather let my kids say that I walked with Jesus and I walked in the Spirit than I took them to Disneyland and bought some overpriced ears that they never wore again, right? But we think as a parent, like, oh, we're doing good things if we give our kids all this stuff. No, you're doing good things for your kid if you give them the things that they can't buy. And you can't buy the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to live it. But maybe you're here today and none of this makes sense. It's just kind of like, over your head, you're like none of this really connects with me. Maybe you don't have the Spirit of God because you're not saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's one reason, one reason alone, because you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, man, make today the day that you put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior. But if you're here today and you're a Christian and you know you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, I want to challenge you to live a Spirit-filled Christian life this week. That baby in a manger offered you eternal life. Offered the opportunity to be able to change everything about you. Gave you the ability to be adopted into the family of God. Became an advocate for you. We also gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, I'd love to be able to sit and have a chat with Jesus sometime. Maybe we will when we get to heaven one day. I don't know. But until then, he's left me his spirit. So that I'm never alone. I always have the presence of God. I always know what Jesus would do. I always have a reminder of what Jesus has already done because we have the Spirit inside of us. Let's live according to the Spirit this week. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.